Hi, you're listening to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast produced by the Get Global Network. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Hi, and welcome to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks. Thank you for subscribing to my podcast and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, SGT, the abbreviation for Sergeant, SGT Cheryl Dorsey on Instagram and Twitter, as well as subscribe to my YouTube channel, SGT Dorsey Speaks, much like my podcast. I'm a retired 20-year veteran sergeant in the Los Angeles Police Department, and I'll be providing you with an insider's perspective on police policy, police culture, and police training. I'll also be discussing incidents that are making national headlines and how you might get involved and engaged in your particular communities. Also, I'll be offering solutions on how best to survive police encounters because at the end of the day, the goal is for everyone to go home safe. For more about me and my career, visit my website, www.sgtsherldorsey.com for information about my advocacy work, as well as my 20-year career, which is chronicled in my autobiography, Black and Blue, The Creation of a Social Advocate. I talk about in great detail my 20-year career on the LAPD, where I worked in patrol my entire career under the command of police chiefs Daryl Francis Gates, Willie Williams, and Bernard Parks. I talk about real-life encounters and adventures, if you will, during my 20-year career. I name names. In some instances and in others, I use pseudonyms and aliases that I like to give folks. You'll be able to tell exactly who it is that I'm talking about based on the circumstances when I use an alias. And for those of you who'd like a sneak peek on my website, www.sgtsherldorsey.com, you can read the first chapter of volume two, Black and Blue, The Creation of a Social Advocate, as well as my next to be released book, volume three in the Black and Blue series, Black and Blue, Creation of a Whistleblower. Now let's get to it. Over in Florida, a deputy offered to help a 19-year-old community member with a little legal matter. And so this um, particular deputy, a sergeant by the name of Randy Carl Davis, who happens to be 63 years old, took that whole protect and serve, particularly the serve part, to a whole nother level. So much like the asterisk formerly known as little Tink Tink, you know, your president, he's the asterisk now. So when you hear me refer to the asterisk, that's who I'm talking about. But anyway, much like the asterisk, Sergeant Randy Carl Davis said to this 19 year old woman, certainly I can help you with your legal matter, which is she did something to violate her probation and she wanted to get her probation reinstated. And so Sergeant Davis said, but I need you to do me a favor, though, a sexual favor, though. According to the Baker County Sheriff's Office, because now Sergeant Randy Carl Davis has been not only arrested, but charged with bribery. And here's why. So this 19-year-old woman turned herself in. She had some kind of a warrant, and I guess that bumped her off of her status as being on probation. Now, I don't know exactly how she came to meet up with this Sergeant Davis, but somehow um, she got in touch with him, and they met up at this gas station. And it's while they were at the gas station that she talked about wanting to get her probation 
reinstated and Sergeant Davis said, I can help, but I need you to do me a favor though. And so Sergeant Davis transports this woman back to his house. At his house, he had agreed to write a letter for her that I guess she could submit to her probation officer to get her probation reinstated. I'm assuming, I'm reading all into it, right? But he did offer to write her a letter back at the house. Now, listen, this girl is 19. I get it, she's you know legally an adult. You know, she's working with a brain that's only been on the planet for 19 years. And so it, you know, may not be completely developed just yet. Thus, that's why she went back to his house to get this letter. Now, I don't know what time of day or night it was, but the fact that a law enforcement officer would tell you, you got to come back to my house so I could write you a letter should have been a red flag, should have let her know that once we get back to the house, he's probably going to be doing more than just looking for an ink pen. And so sure enough, he gets her back to the house and then he tells her, you know, the though is I I need you to switch out some oral sex for this letter, the bribe. And so eventually this young woman brought the information uh, of the um, attempt to coerce her into a sex act, uh, abuse of his authority. Clearly, Sergeant Davis was not only arrested, but he was also fired. And now as a result of that, he is you know, in some serious jeopardy and, and, and looking at, at some jail time. So um, as I hear more about Sergeant Randy Carl Davis over on the Baker County Sheriff's Department, I'll let you know. In Oklahoma City, a police sergeant by the name of Keith Sweeney has been convicted by a jury of second degree murder in the fatal shooting of an unarmed suicidal man by the name of Dustin Pigeon. Now, Dustin Pigeon is 29 years old and he was having some sort of a mental episode and he had uh, doused himself with lighter fluid and was threatening to set himself on fire. Well, Sergeant Keith Sweeney shows up and engages this guy who Dustin posed no real threat to the officer, right? Officers are only allowed to use deadly force in the immediate defense of their life or the life of another. But I mean, listen, this guy is suicidal. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was trying to commit, you know, suicide by cop. He was trying to set himself on fire and, and to prevent him from setting himself on fire, you don't shoot him. There was another officer on scene who fired a beanbag at Dustin Pigeon. And for some, you know, reason that I don't know about, our Sergeant Sweeney winds up shooting Pigeon. Now, I don't know if it's because when the officer fired the beanbag, the sound may have caused the sergeant, and I'm trying to give him a whole lot more credit than what he is deserving of. But, you know, there are instances where there's a thing called contagious gunfire, right? Officers may hear something that they think is a a gunshot. It could be a car backfiring, or it could be a beanbag gun being deployed. I don't know what it was that caused Sergeant Sweeney to, to, to shoot this kid or this man. But nonetheless, he did. And there was camera footage that showed from his body cam that, you know, what he did was not necessary. And and I, I'm reading in the uh, story related to this that Sweeney could also be heard on the uh, body camera footage, you know, yelling and cussing, you know, drop it or I will effing shoot you. So it's not uncommon for officers to display a weapon pointed at you because they're thinking that, you know, I guess most people, if somebody sees a gun pointing at them, that they'll stop whatever it is they're doing. Well, Sweeney says, drop it or I'll effing shoot you. Drop it maybe meaning drop the 
whatever device he was going to use to set himself on fire. Well, then the sergeant fires five rounds at Dustin and kills him. So a jury in Oklahoma City convicted Sergeant Keith Sweeney of second-degree murder in the fatal shooting of 29-year-old Dustin Pigeon. Over in Tallahassee, they were looking for a new police chief over there. And there's a brother man by the name of Antonio Gillum. He comes from uh, St. Petersburg Police Department. He's an 18-year veteran over there. And he um, applied for the police chief job in Tallahassee. Now, Gillum was the assistant chief of police over in Tallahassee. And, you know, everything was a go. And I guess they just needed to sign on a couple of more dotted lines. And then, you know, Gillum realized that, some of the things that were important to him, he was not going to be able to do as the police chief at Tallahassee. One of them being he wanted autonomy over hiring and firing of his command staff. And listen, it makes sense to me, you know, as a police chief, you want to be able to bring in and let go folks um, who are like-minded, right? People who um, support your mission and and you want to surround yourself with people that are not going to try to undermine your authority. And, and I guess Tallahassee didn't want him to have that kind of autonomy. And then the other problem is that um, Antonio Gillum was looking for a six-year agreement in which he could only be fired with cause, right? He didn't want to be an at-will employee where, you know, they just wake up one day, city manager, mayor, whoever it is that was going to ultimately be the person appointing him and just decide that they, you know, thought he should find a new church home. So after weeks of negotiations, Antonio Gilliam, unable to come to some kind of mutually agreed upon term, he said, you know what, I think I just stay on over here at St. Petersburg because, you know, being an assistant chief, you know, is not too bad. So the search continues over in Tallahassee for a police chief. There were three contenders for that police chief job. And since Gillum isn't going to accept it, they went to, I don't know, what seems to be number two, a gentleman by the name of Lonnie Scott. Now, Lonnie Scott is a major on the Tallahassee Police Department. He came to Tallahassee from Gainesville PD. And being a major on Tallahassee and then not being selected for that position because they was looking to give it to an outsider, Gilliam. Lonnie Scott had been interviewing and having um, thoughts of going somewhere else. So he was selected for a position back over at his old department in Gainesville as an assistant chief. And so, you know, when Gilliam hurt Tallahassee's feelings, they said, hey, Lonnie, uh, look, why don't uh, you go ahead and take that chief spot? Major Lonnie Scott said, no, I already got a new church home. I'm going back to Gainesville, but thanks. So Major Lonnie Scott, uh, having been uh, skipped over, <laughs> and I don't know if it was a kangaroo leap or just a sidestep, but having been overlooked nonetheless for the position of police chief at Tallahassee, where he was a major, decided to go back to his old agency and be an assistant chief. And who knows um, if there's ever an opportunity back at Gainesville, since he did spend 29 years there, he may eventually wind up being the um, police chief over in Gainesville. But listen, here's the deal. Okay, so he did 29 years at Gainesville. It doesn't say in the article how many years he was over at Tallahassee as a major, but, you know, clearly he had been there for at least one or two, right? So let's say he's somewhere in the three-decade mark as a law enforcement officer. 
I'm just wondering what's up, dude. I mean, do you not like Mrs. Scott? <laughs> you don't want to just go and sit down and enjoy retirement because I say that because the, you know, these statuaries show that the longer we stay on in the field, you know, that I did for 20 years, the less likely we are to have on the other end. And, you know, statistics have, you know, in, in my own personal relationships have borne that out because I've had some very near and dear friends who spent over 30 years on LAPD. And, you know, sadly, um, you know, a very dear friend, Andre Dawson, may he rest in eternal peace, 30, 32 years on LAPD, retired. And then he, two years later, he was gone. Two and a half years later, he was gone. And then most recently, another um, dear and cherished uh, friend and colleague, um, Assistant Chief Earl Paysinger, 40 years Earl did on LAPD. And two years later, he's gone. So I pray longevity uh, whenever Lonnie Scott um, decides to step away and Mr. Gillum, but I just don't understand well, take that back. I do understand because listen, it's all about the power. And when you start breathing that special air, it's hard to let that stuff go. And then the perks and, you know, all those little extras that go with being an assistant chief, a deputy chief, or a chief of police. But at some point, family, I'm just thinking all money ain't good money. I'm just saying, I am so uh, thankful and blessed to have now on next year, about to celebrate a milestone in my own retirement career, <laughs> if you will, in that I will have been retired for as long as I did the job. And so, you know, starting next summer, every check I get is going to be city money. I've got all my contributions over the years. I left very young. I started very young. Good luck to uh, Mr. Scott over in Gainesville and Gilliam over on the agency where he was selected. I, I wish them well in their position and, you know, eventually when they get enough and decide that they'd like to be home and maybe just sit up and, you know, relax a little bit, that they have longevity in their retirement. You know, I don't know if it's a thing that men just can't sit still or, well, I do know that some men say that, you know, they don't want to sit still because if they sit still, what's at home will be worrying them. And so I get it. I get it. Now, uh, NYPD cops have been seen disabling security cameras at a location where officers were involved in some kind of a drug arrest. Two brothers were arrested, allegedly now, on a false drug case. And in the midst of all of that, officers, one of whom is described as a captain, could be seen disabling the security camera in this business that these brothers owned. Now, the officers involved come from the Queens gang unit, and they arrested these two brothers who own a smoke shop. The officers involved in the arrest from the Queens gang unit reported that they had recovered 40 pounds of cocaine within this smoke shop. Now, at some point, the NYPD lab conducted tests for cocaine on this product that they allegedly recovered and all the tests came back negative for cocaine and whatever tests they had done before they actually put these guys in custody at the scene. Well, those tests also came back negative for cocaine. Now the DA's office, you know, couldn't provide any documentation to support that 40 pounds of cocaine actually came out of this 
um, business that was owned by these two brothers. But nonetheless, <laughs> the damage was done. The brothers were arrested and they were held without bail and they were in jail for about 30 days, nearly a month, right? Now, again, none of the officers involved in this arrest can account for where if they did find some cocaine later on to say, oh, by the way, here's the real cocaine because whatever they turned in initially came back with a negative in terms of testing for cocaine. So maybe at some point in that 30 day period that they held them in jail without bails, they found some cocaine to say, this is it. I don't know. Prosecutors ultimately dismissed the felony charges against the brothers. And so the brothers were, you know, like, okay, so you don't get to just put me in jail, hold me here for 30 days with no bail, and then let me go and think it's all good, right? They got a hold of a friend of theirs who is a computer engineer. Now, when they got out of jail and they got back to their business, they realized that the recorder that they had in their business had been destroyed. Police officers allegedly destroyed the recorder. But because they had a friend who's a computer engineer, the brothers took their computer equipment recording device from their business to this friend, and he was able to recover some footage. And in the midst of him recovering the footage, you see officers, you know, talking amongst themselves and you see them look up and realize that, you know, what they were doing, which probably was not you know, completely appropriate was being recorded by this in-store video camera. And you see uh, someone who's described as a captain motion up to the uh, video camera that's recording them. And then the camera goes blank. And then, of course, they try to destroy the recorder. Well, Internal Affairs is involved and an investigation is ongoing. And so we'll see what happens, you know. This is NYPD, so <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. You're listening to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast. We'll be right back after this brief message. Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, by author Zimmy Williams, is a book about self-improvement, self-determination, self-reliance, and personal success. Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, teaches skills in all areas of oral interviews, health and fitness, personal finance, and life management. Reading this book is truly a life-changing experience. The author of Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, Zimmy Williams, is a retired LAPD sergeant and armed forces veteran, having served as a member of the United States Navy. Order your copy of Surviving the Oral Interview, Boot Camp for the Mind, by author Zimmy Williams. Get your copy today from online bookstores like Book Baby, Amazon, and other bookstores worldwide. Hey ladies, do you have frizzies, split ends, or are you running low on personal style? Well, the vote is in. Women like me who started going to Ursula Image Consulting have given their dull, boring hair flair, finally. So why don't you call my girl Ursula and book your appointment now at 626 494 
626-494-0355. That's 626-494-0355. Or follow her on Instagram at Ursula Image Consulting. Now, when you contact Ursula, be sure to ask for that 15% discount off your first salon visit. She's located at the Head Trip Salon, 16 East Bellevue Drive in Pasadena, California. Come on, treat yourself. Your hair will thank you for it, and you'll get lots of compliments. Follow Ursula on Instagram at Ursula Image Consulting. Schedule your appointment. Receive 15% off your first salon visit at Head Trip Salon, 16 East Bellevue Drive in beautiful Pasadena, California. And now we're returning to Sergeant Dorsey Speaks. Now, there was an incident in uh, Corona, California back in June of this year where an off-duty LAPD officer was in a Costco with his family, a small child in his arm, when he allegedly had been struck by another Costco shopper. Now, the person that allegedly punched or slapped the off-duty LAPD officer, whose name is Salvador Sanchez, uh, was a 32-year-old who's described as being intellectually disabled. His name was Kenneth French. Kenneth French was in the Costco with his parents shopping, and I would imagine, you know how Costco is, there's probably a whole bunch of people in there at the time that the incident occurred. And the officer wound up shooting six times at Kenneth French after this alleged slap, punch, whatever it was that happened. And district attorney took the uh, case to a grand jury. Uh, Grand jury consisted of 19 jurors and they could not unanimously agree. And so the prosecutor returned a no bill. In other words, we're not going to prosecute this officer criminally. So I'm not sure what LAPD police chief Michael Moore is going to do administratively to um, adjudicate this matter now that the officer is not facing any criminal charges. But but what we do know is that the family has obtained an attorney and now there is a civil suit pending. And so we'll have to see if L.A. City wants to just throw money at the family because you know, that's what police departments do. They throw money at families when they, you know, kill your loved one. And they change nothing about policy, procedure, officer stays on the job. It's all good, right? Until he does it again. Because the officer's story was, and this is what the jury had a hard time with, is the officer says that he was knocked down and he was knocked unconscious. But listen, it doesn't make sense to me because the officer allegedly was holding his small child in his arms. So if he was knocked unconscious, then that means he had to have dropped the baby. But reports said the baby was unharmed, not injured. And so if the officer was unconscious, first of all, how long was he unconscious? And when he came to, I've never been knocked unconscious, but I would imagine that you're probably a little discombobulated, right? I mean, how many of you have been involved in a car accident or maybe in some kind of a sporting event where you take a pretty hard fall and you're jarred and, and maybe you don't lose consciousness, but it takes you a minute or two to just kind of get your faculties about you and, and reassess what's going on around you, right? So imagine if you're knocked unconscious, what that means when you finally regain consciousness. So the officer's first reaction when he regained consciousness wasn't to pick his baby up off the floor, wasn't to even see if the baby was okay. It was to fire six shots at Kenneth French while his parents are saying, hey, no, no, don't do it. You know, our son is a, has a, a mental disorder. 
please. They're trying to run and turn away from the officer and he shoots them. He winds up seriously injuring both parents who now are reportedly going to have lifetime long-term medical issues. They're having recurring infections because I don't know if there's still bullets inside of their bodies. They're older, you know, medical expenses, right? That could break your back. That could, that could completely devastate a family financially. In addition to the fact that they lost their son and all of the expenses and things that go along with having to bury a child, not only financially, but emotionally. And so the family is now suing probably LA city, the officer, uh, maybe even the city of Corona and Costco for wrongful death. Not sure how this is going to resolve itself. No criminal charges are pending. This we know. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. One of the things that the family attorney said is that in his mind, that filing this lawsuit is a step towards getting justice. Well, I beg to differ because there is no getting justice when there are no criminal charges to be filed. And after the fact, you file a civil suit. So this is all about let's go to money court. Let's get paid. And I'm not saying that the family doesn't deserve financial compensation because clearly they do. But let's not pretend that this civil suit is going to properly address why an off-duty police officer on the Los Angeles Police Department would engage himself in some kind of action where he winds up drawing his weapon in a crowded Costco as he's holding his small child in his arms. Everything about that tactically makes no sense. And so all of that stuff happened pre-AB 392. So, you know, AB 392 is law that uh, was signed by Governor Gavin Newsom that now speaks to when an officer can use deadly force, right? Reasonable versus necessary. All of that happened uh, with the Kenneth French shooting before AB 392 was signed into law. So I don't know if the tactics that the officer used prior to the shooting are going to be considered with regards to, again, administrative adjudication, because at the end of the day, Police Chief Michael Moore gets to decide whether or not he wants to give this officer, Salvador Sanchez, a paper penalty, whether or not he wants to just send him back down to the police academy and have him go through a couple of uh, sit-sims on the shooting range, right? Sit-sims being situation simulations, right? Yeah, Chief Michael Moore gets to decide, so that's that. Over in Wisconsin, this is the craziest damn thing I've ever heard of. There's actually a a female who works in the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. I think she's a detention officer. She's a deputy. Her name is Janelle Garicki, 29 years old. And she was employed at the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office between February 2016 and July 2019. I said was employed because clearly she's not there anymore. She's been fired and she's been charged with felony burglary. Now, this is what this fool was doing. She was somehow, I guess, researching online obituaries. And, you know, when folks list a obituary online of someone who's passed away, sometimes, you know, most times it's to just notify folks near and far that the person has passed away and here's information regarding services. So this uh, Janelle Garicki would peruse online obituaries and she would find the names of the homeowners who were listed as surviving relatives. So, you know, family members are listed in the uh, obituary as, 
you know, uh, father of, you know, uh, son of, mother of, whatever. And once their names are listed and this Janelle realizes or figures out, you know, through database searches that these people are homeowners, these, these are the surviving relatives. She knows when the funeral is going to be. She knows when the wake is going to be. So this heifer was going and breaking in people's houses while they were at the funeral services. And so as a result of that, she's been charged and found guilty of being involved in illegal conduct while on duty. Now, the while on duty may have to do with her researching and finding out these people's personal information, you know, records about where they live and all of that. I don't know if she was actually leaving work to go break in the houses, but nonetheless, charged with a felony and she's been fired. She's due in court later uh, this month, December. She's due in court on the 30th. And if convicted, Janelle Gorecki is facing 12 years in prison. So anyway, um, note to self, what the hell? I don't know what they pay their deputy sheriffs out there in uh, Wisconsin, but surely you must make sufficient enough money that you don't have to burglarize the home of folks who are out grieving and funeralizing their loved ones. I mean, it's just nonsense. And listen, if you read the article, I mean, you can Google it and see the story. I mean, she even got caught (laughs) inside someone's house and what she said to them, you know, she was looking for something on Craigslist. She was supposed to meet some people or she said something that just made no sense to me and why they didn't call the authorities right then and there on her. I don't know, but I mean, it's Wisconsin. And so You know, maybe it's one of those areas where people think, you know, this stuff never happens here. So they didn't report it. Anyway, uh, Janelle Gorecki facing 12 years in prison if convicted on felony burglary charges. And in other stupid and public police stuff, there was an off-duty officer who was arrested by Bakersfield Police Department when they responded to a radio call of a man asleep in a movie theater. So Bakersfield PD responds, it's about 11 p.m. And the reason that they got called in the first place is not just because he was asleep. (laughs) This knucklehead was asleep with a damn gun on his lap. I don't know, you know, maybe the whole, you know, Aurora mass shooting. Is that the one that happened in the movie theater? I don't know why he's sitting up in the movie theater with a gun on his lap, but anyway, he was, and evidently he was under the influence. He had been drinking. And so he fell asleep in the midst of the movie. Uh, Other moviegoers saw him and then they called the police. And so the police responded and then they arrested an off-duty police officer. His name is Douglas Barrier and they arrested him for public intoxication. And who knows what, you know, other myriad of charges he'll be facing administratively with regards to, you know, not only being drunk in public, but then, you know, having a damn gun sitting in your lap. I mean, what if someone had picked it up? They could have shot him and and moviegoers as well. So he was arrested and booked in a current county jail and he's, uh, you know, yet to be dealt with administratively. If I see more about that, I'll give you an update a little later on. And now it's time for Did You Know? This week's episode of Did You Know? takes a personal tone. Sergeant Dorsey Speaks is now on Instagram TV. So for those of you who don't get an opportunity to see my videos on YouTube, you can slide on over to Instagram and you can see little vignettes, miniature videos, 
short clips. <laughs> I'm not sure what to call them, but I will be, uh, I have been, and will continue in the new year, 2020, posting videos on Instagram where I will be commentating on incidents that are occurring and just giving you my opinion about use of force, reasonable, not reasonable, what are your thoughts kind of thing. So for those of you who are Instagrammers, look for Sergeant Dorsey Speaks on Instagram TV. That's it for this week. Have a merry, merry Christmas. And until next time, family, be good and be safe. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. You have been listening to the Sergeant Dorsey Speaks podcast. Produced by the Get Global Network. Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey is a television commentator, social justice advocate, and is also well known for her book, Black and Blue, Creation of a Social Advocate, an autobiography of her 20-year career as a black woman on the Los Angeles Police Department. The book details what she learned as an LAPD insider. Sergeant Dorsey can be contacted through her website, sgtdorseyspeaks.com, or via any of her social media sites like YouTube and Facebook. Take the time to subscribe to her YouTube channel and also subscribe to this podcast via major podcast networks like iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and many others. The podcast is also available on wireless speaker systems like Alexa and Sonos. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.